Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Now, how about this is our next topic for this episode? A hideous idol, an ancient slumbering evil, and a murderous cult. Today's guest is John Haas. This is his third appearance on his podcast three years ago in episode 20. I welcomed him. He's from Ontario, Canada, and has entered the Writers That Feature contest 10 times for the past 10 years. He won with his Lovecraft-influenced horror story, The Damned Voyage. His goal is to transition to a full-time writer. Well, he's been transitioning, but I've been waiting for that, how the damn Voyage came to be. Then again, one and a half years ago, in episode 122, John Hass, this is my description, John Hass has wanted to be a pro writer for most of his life, but life kept getting in his way. He kept persisting and now finds himself on the cusp of realizing that dream. For any who aspire to living their dreams, whatever that dream, listen to this episode of the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast with Writers of the Future winner and author John Haas. After all, dreams can be made to happen. So now, as I, prepare, as I was preparing for this interview, I was trying to reconcile why I've had him on more than any other winner. He's Canadian, super nice guy, and writes some pretty intense horror. Somewhat of a contradiction I will hopefully resolve in this interview. So welcome, John. Thank you very much. Good to be back. Yeah, so your story in Writers of the Future, The Damn Voice, was extremely well written and had an amazing twist to a very famous real-life disaster, the Titanic. Yep. Now, you've written two novels that are backstories to Damn Voids, and you still haven't made it to the start of your short story. <laughs> Come on, man. What's going on here? So how'd you come by? So let's refresh how you came by this concept and the inspiration for this story, the storyline. It, it's, it's funny because a friend of mine had been bugging me to do a Lovecraft story for years. Yeah. And so I said, okay, finally I'm going to do something for him. So I, I did, I started this story and it was just a, concept that this guy who will turn out to be Jack the Ripper um, is actually not the villain that we all think he is. I mean, he's not necessarily a nice guy, but he's done some bad stuff in in, in his life, but he's done it for altruistic purposes. Yeah, let's <laughs> say that. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's how it started out. I started writing it for my friend, and then uh, I was like, oh, what happened around the same time? Oh, the Titanic, so many years later. So I brought all that together. You certainly did. So Book of Death and Madness is the one I just finished reading, uh, book two, which is the latest right. release, follows the Book of Ancient Evil, which is the first one. So now... Just as a recap, we've got Dr. Shah, who was went to serve for the, the British government in India. Yeah. And then he gets all caught up in this ancient evil and the cult of Kali. And then uh, there's this orphan boy, Singe. Is that how you pronounce it? Singh. Singh. So Singh is there. And so he rescues Singh from this cult, although he was doing some just the nature of the of the pull of this this evil that's in this this book of madness so he's also got some history as well so then he returns to the uk after india with with shah so yeah. what i couple of different things here one is you've taken two major disasters flaps in history you've got titanic and jack the ripper and you've woven them into your stories there as though, but of course, this is what it is. <laughs> it reminds me a bit of how uh, Tim Powers writes his stories, too, because I asked him, how do you do this? He'll take an actual piece of history and find some hole. Or he'll find something where it's, it's a missing element of time in there. Then he'll fill it in with supernatural, fantastical. Yeah. 
and it explains it and then it still comes out to the same ending. So what was your inspiration to be able to write like this? And is there, obviously it's, you know, like you said, you wanted to uh, emulate a certain horror author, but anything else about that, how you came to write this stuff here and, and tie in real life history, historical things and weave that into your, into your storytelling? Well, the first one kind of, I kind of fell into it. I didn't realize just how much work it was to um, write something historical. Um, when, when you write something in a fantasy world, you can do whatever you want. It's your world. You yeah. made it up. Whereas when you're writing something that actually took place in history, you, you have to get the facts right. And But you can play around with the background of it, like like I did with the Titanic. Now, obviously, it didn't really hit a, a elder god that rose out of the ocean. Um, but maybe it did. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so writing historical fiction, horror, is uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I went to this Prince Eddie. So he was yeah. uh, Prince Albert Edward Victor of Wales. He's the eldest child of the Prince and Princess of Wales, who yeah. later became the King Edward the Seventh. And Eddie was in, in line to become king, evidently. Yes. Yeah, and he died of influenza. Yeah, a few years, five years after this, your story yeah. takes place. But you made Prince Eddie one of the main characters in this latest volume. But it's interesting, I was remembered as the most likely suspect as being Jack the Ripper. Yeah. I had to look at everything that happened around Jack the Ripper and who the suspects were, and I had to weave them into the story. Like, um, Kosminski was one of the uh, suspects for the being Jack the Ripper. And there was the other guy who was part of the Hellfire Club. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you about the Hellfire Club, because I looked that up, too, and it was a real thing. Yeah. Did they have the inner, the inner sanctum of the Hellfire Club? Was that a real thing, or was that a John Haas? Uh, that's my particular twist on it. There might have been an inner circle, but... But if it's super mm -hmm. secret, then... Yeah. It never made it to... Uh, to uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but the Hellfire Club was real and it was a club for gentlemen and, you know, the rich people who just had more money than. Than sense. Uh, sense. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, on this, it was just, to me, I was fascinated with when I realized that you had some of this stuff that was, that was real history, I'm like, well, what else? And that's, that's, he really makes a big deal of this Hellfire Club. So I looked up Hellfire Club and sure enough, there it is, you know, the yep. same time period, the same type of people that were in there. So yeah, then it makes I, it all the more appreciative. So, so people listening to stuff here, this is, it's an amazing story. If you like horror, dark fantasy, this is totally up your, up your alley. But I'm interested now in how putting it together for the aspiring writer, how you do this, because you have your horror storyline. So that's its own trifail cycle and all that stuff. And Dr. Shaw has way more than his share of trifails. Um, yeah. You know, he's, yeah, he, he really suffers. Yeah, he just gets the you-know-what kicked out of him repeatedly. <laughs> but by this evil, you know, and he's – but he takes a licking and keeps on ticking, you know, so – I mean, there's a lot to be said for him, but how do you do this? So you you start with your storyline, and then you work out how do you fit what are the different elements at that time period you could then fit in and make that weave around, or do you take a how, what do you do? Well, um, I'll start with the basic idea, and I'll be ready, and then so take the Hellfire Club, for instance. I needed another group, somebody who wanted to get hold of the book. And so I did a little research of clubs that were around in England at that time, and I found the Hellfire Club. 
And I'd heard of them briefly. And I thought, oh, well, this is great. And so I looked them up and did a bunch of research. And I put them in. Did they wear uh, the mask? Is that something that they did or is that you? No, that's me. Okay. That's me. (laughs) And uh, like Jack the Ripper's victims, I... um, Particularly the last one, I gave her a little bit more of a personality and a background and uh, had her haunting Shaw for a while afterwards. So uh, some of it is, oh, here's a historical fact. I need to put that into my story. And some of it is, oh, I need this. Let's look for a historical fact. Yeah, so it went both ways. Yeah. So it would seem like in order, like, obviously, at least it would seem obvious that you're not a pantser. You you definitely have a, a basic idea of where you're taking your story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I will write to a certain point, and then I'll go back, and I'll re-outline, and I'll refine points a little bit and then I'll keep going. Um, particularly if I've got something that's a little vague, yeah. uh, then I'll go back a few chapters and re-outline and figure out what it is that I'm not clicking with. I get it. So yeah, not a pantser. Yeah. So or were there points where you're going along in a, in a certain vector. You did your research, and then you found something else that was really cool that wasn't in there, and went back and rewrote it or wrote it into your story because you found it was like, wow, I had no idea. This is so cool. I need to put this in there. Um, yeah, a little bit about everything that was in uh, Whitechapel. I didn't realize I should have. But I didn't realize how dirty and poor and horrible it was to live there in this time. And it was so crowded and people were emptying chamber pots out the window. That was pretty disgusting. It was. Yeah. And um, so something like that I wanted to get in there because it's the more human side of it. Yeah. So it connects a little bit. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, that definitely made it much creepier of a place to, mm. you know, in a story, you really get that like, well, you do not want to go there. You know, you, yeah. if you're any type of a, of an elitist or elite person, or even someone who's Shaw wasn't elite, but he was definitely middle-class if they had that back then, yeah. they definitely weren't that there in, yeah. in that community. But it was interesting how all the the prostitutes you gave them more of a um, of a beingness, more of an identity, and then also how the gal that came over with the book from oh uh, Ananya, yeah Ananya, how she used them and made her 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 force with these wicked knives and yeah. um, that they were like serious you know attack ninjas for her yeah well and that. That came out from a friend of mine saying, you don't have a lot of women in this this story. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and every woman I have, like something horrible happens to them in the end. So I tried to give them a little more power. Yeah. Something horrible still happens to them all in the end, but at least they have it's more power. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> at least they weren't weak characters. Uh, hardly that. And Nanya was definitely, uh, I mean, she got what she, she got her comeuppance on that thing with, uh, yeah, with her uh, meeting with the demigod that she uh, ended up summoning. Yeah. So don't call up the wrong one. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but then how you also went into Bedlam, the hospital there too. And yes, you know, that's, that that was pretty insane. Like you, that's one that even to me is is as bad as or worse than Whitechapel, you know. And um, you gave a bit of 
May I agree that the that the people there were the uh, victims, but some of the uh, attendants and the the doctors there, I I wouldn't think of them as being good guys. Yeah, I I took the real um, what do you call it? The head of the the hospital. Mm-hmm. I took the real person out of history, and he had certain beliefs in how to cure these people. And uh, so I wove that into the story as well. Yeah, I don't and, know if people uh, were ever cured once they made it to Bedlam, but maybe. Oh, no. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, same with the, um, the uh, British Museum. I took the actual uh, curator of the, of the museum and managed to get him in there too. Oh, wow. I didn't think to look that too, but that makes sense. You know, all these other things, it just, it adds more realism to it. So you take something that's really out there as this, this evil book that can like bring, bring upon the, uh, the demise of, of humanity. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's pretty far fetched. So the more you anchor it in historical fact, the more it can, it can make it, I mean, you, I guess you can make stuff that would be goofy, you know, yeah. but yours wasn't. It's like, cause you're, um, you have the magic there, but it's mostly just like this evil Paul that's settles over here. Yeah. You don't have like, here's, here's the methodology of this magic. Yeah. It, it's definitely a one-sided magic. It's dark. Yeah. Like there's no white magic that's uh, the other side of it. It's just, it's all bad. Yeah. Which gets me back to my original question when I said yeah. I wanted to interview you. How can a nice Canadian guy with two healthy young lads write such evil people and just things that are just like it's only it's one side there's not even white magic to offset the black magic it's just dark black evil magic yeah it, well i was that kid who was always scared like i could see a commercial on tv for a horror movie and it would be for a week and so when i came around to writing horror I found I had a bit of a better pulse. I I knew what scared me. And so I worked at writing it to scare others. <laughs> a lot of my shorter fiction comes from fears. Like I have one story that's about uh, a father that loses his children. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a very personal one. I was like, oh my gosh, what would I do if something happened to my boys? And I'd be like, oh, story idea. Huh. So you're, you're, uh, you're writing your, your worst fears. Yeah. Okay, good. So now on, as, as an author, then as, and as writing these, these stories, do you ever scare yourself? Uh, not so much, because there's something about when you're writing, you're in control. But you're the senior god of your story, y- usually. And, but sometimes you're, I, I'm there and I'm writing, and it's going over this way, and I'm like, "But no, we were going this way." It's like, "No." Nope. <laughs> Yeah, and so the story decides we're going over here, and so that's a little scary because I'm like, where did that come from? Was that me? Is that inside my head? Is there something that dark <laughs> inside my head? <laughs> so scary in that way. I get. Now, did you read a lot of Lovecraft to get you to where you're in this mindset and to this thought process? Yeah. I've read a lot of Lovecraft, and I've read a lot of his contemporaries who wrote in the same world. Um, I find that the people who wrote that were inspired by his world are more entertaining 
than Lovecraft himself. Right. I I find he's very wordy. And he doesn't do dialogue very well. <laughs> so, but I love the world that he created and these gods and the ideas. And um, his, his idea is that the fear of the unknown is the greatest fear, which I, I try to use in mind as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just interesting how when Shaw had to go to this darker part of town, he had to do it at night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course. I mean, come on at nighttime. <laughs> really? But I guess that's when they, that's when you have to go because that's when they all come out at nighttime. Yeah. Everybody yeah. knows that. So now on, <laughs> let's go back to sing now on like Jack the Ripper. Yeah. So was that an element that you intentionally had in your storyline? Or is that something that as you're doing your research, oh yeah, this is that same time period or this is around then that you then were able to plug in? Yeah. I'm, I made the original story where Shaw was on the Titanic and his age so many years earlier. And I was like, oh, well, what's going on that time? And I was like, oh, well, Jack the Ripper. Um, now, how can I weave that into the story? That was, that was pretty amazing how that was, how that was done. Um, Thank you. So now on creating these and making these storylines work, at what point do you get back to the beginning of your short story? So we've got the first two novels, and then it'll be the short story, and then it will all wrap up with the book, the next book, the one I'm working on right now. So are you gonna are you gonna weave the short story, expand on that as part of volume three? Yeah. Um because they're not walking up on the they're not walking out there and walking into this queue into this big ship, which right. is how the other one starts. Right. Uh, the end of the short story is where the start of the third book is. So they, they're like day after. Oh, so Cthulhu's already been called. It's already, he's there. He's, he's yeah. close to the Titanic. And somehow or another, Sean Singh make it. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, Shaw is brought to New York, where all the survivors were brought, and then he finds that the story's not over yet. Evidently not. Nope. <laughs> no, he hasn't suffered enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so on timeline now. So yeah. you, you wrote your short story. How did you conceive or when did the conception of the novels come to play? Was that already in the works before you did the short story? Was it afterwards? And I said, oh man, this needs to be a novel. And is it prequel or sequel? Or so talk to me about that. Well, um, my, my first readers, my uh, critiquing group, they read the story and they all, they all enjoyed it, uh -huh. but they all said the same thing. They were, they all said, Singh is an interesting character, but he's not, he's only in the beginning and then he's gone. And I was like, Oh, okay. So how did they meet then? Maybe, maybe that's something to explore. And that at that point, that's when I went, I, I, I looked at the original story and I thought, Okay, well, I want to. I want to do more with these characters. Do I go forward or do I go backward? And so I went backward, and I thought the the way that Shaw and Singh met, I wanted to give it a positive relationship. I didn't want Singh to be a manservant, secondary character. Um, I wanted him to very often be the one that Shaw looks at 
for advice right. or for what to do next right. and or for moral support um, in certain parts. And so I went way back to the beginning when Singh is still a child and, and wrote that story. And then the next one, next book is he's, he's older. He's almost an adult himself and just keep expanding that relationship. I get it. Yeah. Cause it's a great relationship and it's Shaw is very cognizant of the fact he doesn't want him to be his boy servant or manservant or some in any way, a lesser person. Yeah. Um, all right. So now what's been for you the hardest part on this journey? So that other people that when they see, okay, well, if he can do that, then I can do this. You mean the entire writing yeah. journey or yeah. this book? Um, the hard, the hardest part about writing I find is I spend eight hours a day doing a job because I need the money. Yeah. Right. I, I can't retire from working and do this full time yet, but that's eight hours a day that I could be writing. Right. And so it's like, oh, okay. To, to be able to spend more time writing, I have to be making more money on my writing. And to do that, I have to improve my writing to get rid of my job so that I can spend more time writing. And it's just this circle that keeps going. And I have faith that I'm going to get there. Right. But at this point, it's frustrating. And that's the hardest part of the the writing journey for me. Right. Now, you're also a single parent, too. You got two boys. I am. Yeah. And that's got to also, I was thinking, oh, yeah, they're they're getting older now, so you don't have to worry about them running around as three-year-olds. But then they get older, then they got sports, and then they've got other activities that dad's needed there. And aren't you going to come and watch me play dad? And yeah. et cetera. And then they got homework, so they need help with their homework. And then, yeah. then all of a sudden that means 9 o'clock at night is when you can start writing or getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to write. Yeah. Yeah. My, my older son, he's started work. He's uh, 16 now. So he got a job at McDonald's, which is great. But then when he finishes work at 11 o'clock, I'm going to pick him up to bring him back home. So he doesn't have to take the bus home. Right. So. What's your time. normal writing time? Um, I used to have a normal writing time. Now it's just any. Catch um, is catch can exactly when i was first writing the first book i was getting up at four o'clock to write for a couple hours before i went to work and i tried it again and i can't i can't do it anymore i can't get up at four o'clock <laughs> not, if you're picking, not if you're picking up your son at, at 11 o'clock at night no no but we adapt yes so okay so you've got this and then um, but how many hours a week do you write? Um, I will get in two to three hours a day. So during the week, say 10 to 15 hours, depending on, on the day, right. uh, the week that I have my kids with me is different from the week when they're with their mom. Right. So it's um, I have I have more time when they're with their mom. Sure, but I like it when they're with me. <laughs> so right. catch catch twenty two. Yeah. Um, and on the weekends, what I'll do is I'll get up early and I'll write until noon, and then from noon on is family time. Right. So on the weekends, I'll get in probably like five hours or four hours instead of uh, two or three. I get it. And then um, do you set daily goals or is just is it by the clock? And when the, when the alarm goes off, you're done? It's by the clock now. I used to have a goal where I would, at first it was, okay, write, uh, write 250 words. And then it moved up to 500. And then it was 1,000. And, and now I'm more of a sit down and write for the time period that you've got. Yeah. Get it out. Get what you got out and be happy that you got it. Okay. Um, so you're self-published, right? 
Or do you have a no, publisher? Yeah, uh, indie yeah, publish. It's published by uh, Wordfire. Oh, right. By, so uh, Kevin, with, with Word, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now, how does that how does that work? On you write a book, you go through whatever editorial you do, mm -hmm. and then um, it gets copy edited, and then it gets Kevin. He's the one that takes it, and then Wordfire typesets it and gets it all. Yeah. Formatted for a book. Yeah. And then they print it out, uh, distribute the books to wherever, uh -huh. sell it through their website. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I do a lot of the promotion on my side as well. For sure. Um, so we, my girlfriend and I, we do a lot of, uh, things around Ottawa and Toronto and Montreal and, uh, so you know, nearby, uh, this book we're going to branch and branch out a bit and go deeper into like the U.S. and and do what we can there. Um, a, a lot of online stuff to get people's interest. Yeah, um, it's um, it actually my girlfriend Michelle is just amazing. She takes care of so much of that stuff, and she's like, "Oh well, how about this?" And I'm like, Sure, let's do it. She's uh, she's got an idea of uh, printing water bottles with my. It's hard to turn it sideways. Yeah, John Haas on there. Yeah, so that's like the font. I got, am I saying it right? Am I, I'm saying John Haas all the time, but I've, I've, yep. okay, you got it. That works. Okay, good. Um, my my family always pronounced it Haas. Uh huh. Because my mom thought it was pretentious to say Haas. We, it was too snobby to say it that way. Got it. So we always said has. And then I grew up and I was like, well, double A. It's, you know, it's not has. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's how I've read it and said it all along. But I was like, I thought you corrected me once on this, but it keeps on coming back to has. <laughs> so honestly, uh, the double A throws everybody. Yeah. So any, any way that people pronounce it, I'm like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I just finished interviewing us. Um, another another difficult name, uh, and I've called him Steve Pantazis for since I originally mm. know him because at least in American English, you always this the default is to put the accent on the second syllable, right? Pantazis, but it's Pantazis, you know. So it's the accents on the first ah. one. But anyway, so I should have asked you in, up front. But anyway, there ah. we go. Sidebar. <laughs> um, all right. So now on, on your writing. So you've, you've always wanted to be a writer or is it something that, that developed when you're in middle school, high school, college, how this, how this fit in? Uh, it started when I was in elementary school. I was the one who always made up the stories that uh -huh. my friend, like, you know, when you're out playing on the street with your friends and I'm like, Oh, okay. So you guys are the robbers and we're the cops. But the twist is that the cops are actually the bad guys in this part. And you're actually trying to steal something to, and I was always that guy. Got it. And they're like, okay, John, let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I just want to shoot my cap gun. Yeah, so, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and so uh, as I went further, like when I went, went into high school, I got into the drama classes, and I I ended up writing a lot of like screenplay kind of ideas, and um, I had a really great drama teacher who gave me time and space to uh, to do whatever I wanted, which right. was really fantastic. Oh, that's good. Okay, now on on your um, storytelling, you've got all these different ideas that you that you come up with. How much do you use your ability to tell a story to promote yourself as an author? Because we've talked a few different times before about these series, but like, how do you self promote? You know, you come with the, like, say you're you're the story guy. You're the guy that tells all this stuff here, but moving on now to how do you export that to have a successful either bookstore signing or talking to a library or going to your kid's high school and talking to the kids about becoming a writer. 
how does that stuff work? Because that seems like that has to be a part of your regimen to get yourself out there. Very true. Very true. In fact, this week I'm going into my younger son's school to do a workshop with them on uh, for writing. So it it all helps. Every little bit helps. Um, like you you might realize I'm a bit of a talker. So when I when I when I get in front of people and they're interested in what I've got to say, it's like you can't shut me up. I just I keep going and then the teacher's going to have to be like, okay, we're running out of time. I'm like, okay. Um, So stuff like that. Or uh, when we did book signings in uh, the chapters bookstores here, um, a lot of people would just stop and chat and they, I knew they weren't going to buy a book, but I'll I'll chat to anybody who stops by and, and uh and talks with me you never know that person might have a friend who likes this kind of story and they're like oh i saw this guy the other day yeah so i'll just talk to anybody yeah so i know kevin's really big on kevin anderson's really big on self-promoting going out there yeah uh he does a lot of events he's just like constantly working constantly hustling to get himself known. I've known him for many, many years when he first started. And I remember at conventions, he'd come in, he'd be schlepping his own boxes. They'd take the book signings and sign the books. Mm-hmm. And so where are you at on the stage of the game? Because we saw you, I guess it was last year at the Toronto Comic Con. Is that what it was? Yep. Uh, it was a uh, fan expo. Fan expo. And you, you were there and you were signing books um, in our booth. Yep. And, um, how often do you do stuff like that? Uh, now that summer's coming, a lot of the shows are coming around again, so uh-huh. which is which is great. It was a bit of a dead period um, leading up to spring, really. Um, so we've got several bookstores already booked yeah. for uh, once once this new book comes out and I will have copies to actually sell. Right. Um, we've got several bookstores booked and ready to, uh, to do book signings at, and we're looking at um, the comic cons and other things that happen here and nearby. Um, and we're, uh, we're also uh, talking with uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, about uh, getting into some of their stores that are in the um, nearby, just over the border for us. Uh-huh. Yeah. So honestly, any kind of possibility, I'll go. If I sell one book, fantastic. And it's all about getting the word out. Yeah. Do you do social media? I do. I've got Twitter. I've got Facebook. Um uh, we do stuff on Instagram on the use? website itself. I haven't really gotten into Instagram. So Facebook much. and Twitter, okay. Yeah. But I I know Instagram is something that I do need to get into. Yeah. And then on you do it yourself or does your girlfriend handle your social accounts? Uh, she does a lot of the social stuff. Um I'll do the postings, like yeah. on Facebook, uh, if it's something that is um um maybe not me related i'm just putting something out there that is you know i don't want to always be like me 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 for sure i want to also post stuff that's you know just fun and so those things i'll find something and i'll post that or um some fun meme that has to do with writing but uh, but she does she does a lot of it right okay now on your like on your writing so is is this series going to cap at three books, or is it now going to take another? Is is Cthulhu going to take over your mind and saying I need more of my story <laughs> to pour out? I think the third book is going to be the last book. Okay, I've got I I've got it all plotted out right to the end, and I know everything that's going to happen. Um, realistically. I could. I've got us. I've got an idea already for, um, for a fourth book. It could possibly happen because when they found the Titanic, they sent down drones 
that took some artifacts and brought it back up. Now, if one of the things that they found is this book that sunk with the ship and they brought it back, now it's a clear and present evil in the world again. It's not at the bottom of the ocean. So I thought, you know, sometime in the 80s, this could have happened. Yeah. Of course, none of them are going to be alive. They... No, they're definitely. But then I'm I'm curious what happens with Cthulhu because he's he's made it out and he toasted that ship. So now what? Yeah, well, he was he was sent back down to back to sleep, but he's he's a light sleeper. Yeah, I just don't remember. Was that in your first short story? Yeah, that's in the short story because uh, Shaw Shaw took the book and read. The other guy was reading it to bring Cthulhu up, and Shaw was reading it to send him back after he got a hold of the book. I get it. Yeah. So he must be seriously like mind foobar at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of my first readers, um, every time she reads a book, uh, one of these stories, she's like, poor Shaw. <laughs> yeah. He gets the mental crap kicked out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can fight physical stuff. How do you fight elder gods that are to them where ants? Yeah. No, I know that's, that's um, absolutely true. Okay. So I'm definitely anxious for that book when that gets done and ready to, to roll out, to be able to, to read it. You got it. So now on the, um, you were a winner in volume 30, 35. 35. And so when did you first discover as a future and how many times did you answer? I just want to discuss that as well because obviously people that are here, I want them to feel yeah, inspired that they can enter the contest too and they should enter the contest. Yeah. First thing I'll say is enter. Like <laughs> send in your stories. Don't self-reject. Because, yes, I sent in I don't know how many stories, and they all got rejected until the last one, and it was accepted, and here we are. You right. never know. Right. I I honestly wasn't going to send that story into Raiders of the Future. I didn't have anything left. I had sent everything I had in, and it had been rejected and gotten uh, various levels of um um, of praise or whatever and I had this one and I just I felt it was too long and then Joni contacted me and she said I don't think you've proed out so why aren't you sending us anything and I said okay well I've got this one so I sent in Damned Voyage and I I had self-rejected and I shouldn't have because that was the one that was the winner yeah Absolutely. So that's it's interesting because again, Steve, who I just interviewed a little bit earlier today, same thing. He did everything else, and so he sent this thing in. It was like he he wrote it and just sent it in, and that was the story. Switch is the one that he won with, and he he had had half a dozen previous stories that he submitted that were all rejected, and this one actually made it. So there is some, you know, I okay. You obviously want to send in your best story, but then yeah. self-rejection is is you can get so caught up in, in being rejected that, okay, there's going to be something wrong with this. I just know it because everything else has been, so I'm not going to bother sending it in. Yeah. That's not the right attitude by any shape, shape of the no. word there. No. You, let other people reject you. Don't, don't reject yourself. Let editors reject you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, editors, not other people. Exactly. You know, people on the street. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and even you're going to have friends, but yeah, it's got to be the right market though, too. Like you have, if you have True. somebody that likes reading epic fantasy, that's like more Harry Potter style, they may not get into your book. Right. But if they like more of the darker fantasy, they're going to like gobble this up. So it's also knowing the right audience and realizing that, you got to send it to the right audiences for it to be to get a fair shake. Yeah, very true. And that's one of the things I like about writers of the future is there's such a wide variety. Yeah, 
it's not it, like maybe this story doesn't appeal to you, but maybe that story really appeals to you. Mm -hmm. That's right. So you're out there. So it's been, we're just gearing up now for volume 39. Um, winter's coming out. So for you, what was the best part of the Rise of Future week? Because you're all the winners are flown out for a week-long workshop culminating in the big uh, awards ceremony. And then the following day then is the How to Promote Yourself seminar that mm. I give with Emily. So for you, what was, besides that How to Pre Present Yourself seminar that Emily and I give, what, what was the best part of the week for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, meeting, meeting some of these writers that I've been reading for decades mm -hmm. like larry niven i i've been reading him since i was i don't know how old um so actually meeting him face to face was surreal yeah and i never thought i would meet him or robert j sawyer or kevin j anderson or anybody like that face to face not till i was successful myself right um, so meeting all of those people was fantastic. Meeting my fellow winners was great as well, because we're all at the same level. We're all, it's a level playing field. We've all won the contest and we were all there in, in, uh, California to, to get our award and to go to the, um, the workshops and to meet all the people. Mm -hmm. and it was fantastic. The, the workshops themselves were amazing. Yeah. They, so much information from, uh, obviously the, the three judges who, who do the, the, the lion's share of the, the workshop, but then all the people who come in for, um, one shot, like an hour or an hour and a half, two right. hours, you know, or, and past winners who come in and, get up there and talk to us as well. Um, so it, yeah, you're, you're asking me what was the best part. And I told you basically everything, everything. <laughs> so with that, so what was, what part stands out the most, or what was, what did you find the most helpful for you to proceed with a career? Oh, that exercise that we did. The 24 hour the, book, the 24, oh, 24 hour, hour story, yeah, rather story. Yeah. That one was really good. And I look back at the story and my, mine was not the one that was picked to uh, be workshopped, to, to, to be workshopped, which is fine because I don't think the story I wrote deserved to be workshopped. However, I look back on it and I'm like, oh, there's something there. There is something there. I can, I can make this better. I couldn't do it in 24 hours, but I can, I can make that a good story. I can, I can sell that story. And did you? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. It's uh, it's still sitting there. It's still waiting. Yeah. I, I have to do a little bit of um, editing to it. Sure. To no doubt. Bring it up there. Yeah. So yeah. was there any particular um, article in the workshop that um, for you had a benefit or staying powder, power or they gave you some more insight on how to, how to do a successful career? Because, again, judges – I just like to just finishing interviewing uh, Steve, uh, the manuscript factory, which comes up f frequently, and another one is suspense. But I'm just curious, any particular essay that you studied in, in the workshop that was like that? That's powerful. That still works because these were all written by Hubbard in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, a long time we're ago. We're finding that a lot of people are saying, "Well, they're still just as valid now as they were when he first yeah. wrote them." Yeah, writing doesn't, well, I mean, it changes in the subject matter and maybe the styles, but uh, the the process behind it doesn't, yeah. doesn't change. Uh, there was one with a, a hat. Oh, yeah, the price of a hat. Yeah. Yeah, so that's on coming story ideas. That's where the idea of when, you're, when everybody's given a, um, an object to use, yeah. That's that thing. That was the story that he had with uh, Ed Bodine, who said, "Okay, here's this um, trash can." You know, they're throwing yeah. cards to get into a into a trash can, and he said it reminded him of a because it was like fuzzy, and so it reminded him of a of a kubanka. And now he wrote that whole story, the price of a hat, but it was using that 
uh, different objects as a prompt, story prompts. Yeah, yeah. And that's the one that, even though I couldn't remember all of all of that, I that one does stay with me. Good. I'm going to go back and read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also in the um, Writers of the Future Online Workshop right. that has that course, that, that the free course that we offer that has Orson Scott Card, Tim Powers, and Dave Wolverton all doing video yeah. aspects of short stories. And then there's about 11 essays written by Mr. Hubbard which are what the workshop, the Rise of Future Winners workshop is built around. So yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, that's pretty that, cool. That online workshop is fantastic. Yeah. I I took it first yeah, when it first, when came, it first out. came out. And I should probably do it again because I'm sure it's gone through some metamorphosis since since then. Yeah, and we're going to have some more um, videos. We're about ready to add on to it. We recorded them recently, and so we're going to have that. We got a video with uh, Nadia Korafor, with Kevin Anderson, with um, ah. Rob Sawyer, and then we're going to be recording in a few weeks when she comes out here. Jody Lanai, who's now the current uh, coordinating judge for the contest. Yeah, yeah, I've read some of her stuff. Yeah. All right. So now, on any other aspect of of the contest, yours is one of the most more touching. Acceptance speeches that I remember ever watching, hearing, you know, acknowledging your boys and, and, uh, but just your own. What sort of comes across is, and it's been from other people I've talked to as well, that recognition and acknowledgement that you are a writer, that you're an author, that yeah. you've got something to offer. Can you talk about that a bit too, please, on how that? What that does for you, yourself, that you, with the self confidence or the willingness, because you're by yourself when you're writing, it's just a solo, solo activity. You know, you don't know yeah. what I'm talking about you, you're pouring it out there, you got it, and you then you send it off. And you know, it's you don't have anybody else that you can, I don't want to say blame it on, but it's it's all you. Yeah, it's definitely a solitary pursuit for sure. And then you get to a point where you've you've written it and written it and written it, and now it's time to send it out into the world for other people to see. Yeah. But so now on doing but on doing this thing at winning the contest, what yeah. did that do for your sense of well being as as a writer? Oh, definitely escalates the uh self confidence. You look at it and you you know you can do it uh -huh. because you've done it before. It's not a fluke. You, like I had sold some, I'd sold some stories before Writers of the Future for you know non pro rates, and I'd done okay. Uh -huh. And people had said they're good, but then I sold this story for pro rate and. There I am. I'm up on stage, and I'm I've got an award in my hand, and so I came home and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I can do this. I can do this." Yeah, it's. I think it's important for an aspiring writer, anybody who wants to write, that you know you hear sometimes the story of someone that just sits down, bangs it out, and they're like they've got the the golden f fingers on the golden mm. keyboard and there you go. They, they make it. But those um, I think are probably more rumored than anything else. You know, you've got to be willing to, to walk the walk, the walk and, and do the work to actually make it. Um, and perhaps it's how red you are how knowledge we are in the English language or whatever language you're writing in, mm. um, how much you're, maybe you need to have a sense of, of appreciation of your ability to tell a story in order to sit down and tell a story. You know, yeah. but like you said, you've been doing it all along. And so some people have just, they aren't necessarily writing, but they've been telling stories since a little kid. They love making up stories yeah. and telling them. Even if you're doing it orally, if you're just telling stories orally, you yeah. can you can transition that into sitting down and writing them out. A yeah. story is a story. That's right. Yeah, that's one thing that with um, 
I know with, with uh, Orrin Hubbard, because he traveled a lot. You know, he was a world traveler, yeah. but he'd been to the Orient twice. I think it was twice by the time he was 19. Mm. And so he had, he just, he also, because of all of his world experiences, had a lot of grist for his typewriter mill to be able to have something to write about. And he, cause he would sit down. He's one of the ones that Dean Smith try, has been trying to emulate and even Kevin Anderson, cause he'd sit down and he would, he would sell 92% of his work first submission, first draft. And, yeah. but he wrote a lot. He got, you know, he was writing a hundred thousand words a month. And so, he just got, I guess you just get to where you can do that because you're just so much thinking. And he, um, A, Van Vogt told a story about watching him write once where he was looking at a wall, not, or towards the wall at the pavement, he'd just start typing. And he, he's watching a story, he's just typing the story that he's visualizing. Because a lot of the artists have talked about how easy it is to illustrate his stories. You know, they're, they're mm. very visual, yeah. visually impacting. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now on your on your stories, um, now that you've got with Kevin as your publisher, so your stories are going to be obviously on Amazon and they're on WordFire yeah. Press. But where else yeah. where else can somebody find them? Uh, you can find them on uh, Amazon and WordFire. You can find them on the Barnes and Noble uh, website. So it's on uh, BarnesandNoble.com. Yep. Good. On there as well, you can. Um, well, if you bump into me, I've got some copies. I can always <laughs> sell them to. <laughs> what about in Canada? Distribution up in Canada with um, any of the chains or stores up there, or even just local um, bookstores. We, we're in the um, the Canadian version of Amazon as well. Um, our books are in chapters, yeah. but they're not. On the shelf in chapters, they're in their system. Okay, but they're not necessarily on so the shelf in by, chapters. By, by order, by special order, you can yeah. get, get them through chapters. Okay, yeah, and we've gone in for signings at several of the chapters oh, around here. So, um, um, yeah, they're very uh, they're very welcoming. That's good. I mean, that's been my experience that chapters and Indigo as well, right? Yeah, up there that they're very welcoming to the to local authors. So, really want to be yeah. able to validate and help the local author to be able to, to succeed and survive. Yeah. All right. So this book is out now. So it's available now or is it soon to be available? Uh, April 23rd. Okay. So good. next, so Sunday. Good. All right. So this podcast will, will be going up after, after this has been published, but after your book has been published, but it's April 23rd, we're in 2023. Just yes. down the road when you're listening to this, like, what year is this? Yeah, good so, point. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, for someone to find you now, where do they go? What do they do? I've got my own website now. So johnhas.ca. We uh, we got the domain for that. So you can good. come and find me there. Uh, join my mailing list. Um, and it's J-O-H-N-H-A-A-S. Uh, correct. Good. Don't forget the double A. Right. A lot of people want to spell it with two S's instead of two A's. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, you can find me there. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I've got uh, I've got a Facebook author page. So by all means, come and follow me there. Uh huh. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. Yeah. John has eleven. If you, I guess there's ten other John has is there before you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, uh, you can find me on there as well. And, uh, yeah, that does it. Yeah. Good. And then of course on Amazon. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I've got Wordfire the, Press. Uh, and Wordfire. Yes. Good. I've got the author page on Amazon as well with, uh, with all my stuff that they actually sell. I want you to have. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, all right then. So, um, Thank you very much. And anybody listening to stuff here, we're talking about Book of Death and Madness, which is book two. Um, just finished reading it. It's a great story. Uh, if you like dark fantasy horror, then this is definitely up your sleeve. So uh, this has been great, John. Yeah. It's always fun to come and uh, do podcasts with you, John. Thanks. Two Johns. Exactly. <laughs> and thank you for listening. 
Subscribe to the Writers of the Feature podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We are especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, John. Thank you.